Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Boy, there's a lot that we're going to get to today. The hearings, Judge Amy Coney Barrett to be on the Supreme Court. The woman who is occupying a stolen seat on the Seventh Circuit, President Obama had nominated an African, a brilliant African-American lawyer for that seat. And Mitch McConnell for two years refused to allow any of President Obama's judicial nominees to go through, which is why there was over 100 of them open when Trump came into office. So Mitch McConnell stole that seat, and then he gave it to Amy Coney Barrett so that she could be teed up. She was just a lawyer before this, a lawyer who worked on Bush v. Gore at that, so that she could be teed up to knock this one out. Yeah, it's just, it's mind-boggling. I mean, the whole point of judicial independence was a way of avoiding the so-called tyranny of the majority what sometimes is referred to as mob rule, the idea that, you know, the majority is not always right. It's a point that I think can be argued and can be argued effectively. In fact, Rutger Bregman in his book, Humankind, I think argues very effectively against that. But nonetheless, the idea was to keep the judiciary separate from the branches that are responsive to the people in order to be able to presumably uphold the constitutional protections that we're supposed to have as, as members of the United States. 1789 actually was the year that 1787 was the year the Constitution was written. 1789 was the year it was ratified and we officially became a republic. And in 1789, abortions were advertised in the newspaper. They didn't use the word abortion, but everybody knew what it was and they were advertised in the newspaper. The word privacy meant use the toilet thus privies. Thus, you don't find that word in the Constitution, but the Fourth Amendment is all about it. But, you know, Scalia would tell you that that word isn't there. In fact, did tell you that. Guns were rare. They were very expensive. And most cities heavily regulated guns. You know, a hundred years later, it was still the case. Tombstone, Arizona, you know, you had to leave your gun with a sheriff when you came into town, famously, you know. So, you know, when this country was founded, and slavery was legal. So when this country was founded, Things were very different than they are today, and any judge who tells you that they are an originalist and therefore they are reading the Constitution through the mind or eyes of either the people who wrote it, who had wild disagreements about its meaning, 
or through the eyes of, as uh, Amy Coney Barrett said the other day, the people at the time, the general understanding at the time. Anybody who tells you that is trying to feed you a load of horse crap. I mean, you know, there's just no other way to say it. This is like a religion. It's like priests saying, well, we know what God says and we know how to correctly interpret the Bible. And what's happened is that the Supreme Court has seized so much power for itself and it's gotten so bizarre over the last couple of decades that they've had to resort to using religion, not any official religion, the religion of the court, to say, oh yeah, we're, we're doing the same thing that priests do. We can divine the mind of God and we can read the old sacred texts, in this case the Constitution, and tell you exactly what they mean. It's a scam. Originalism is a scam, period, full stop. Raven in Medford, Oregon. Hey, Raven, what's up? The people involved have never spoke about religion or brought up her religion, even though the Republicans keep trying to make it like it's reverse bias. I've worked in mental health for a number of years, and what everyone should be questioning is not her being Catholic, but the fact that she was in the people of praise for so long as a child and then married a husband to that. From my experience as a person who worked in mental health and has a degree in clinical psychology, that is very hard to break. Sometimes people don't even break that during their lifetime as an adult. And most of their decisions are influenced by that. That's what really people, what we should be questioning is how much is she really still involved with the people of praise and even now, when she's going for the hearings, are we listening to them and her head or to her? Because what happens in cases involving mental health is that you will see one particular, and usually is the narcissist and such, that managed to have an influence over other individuals that suffer from some form of emotional instability or mental health because they appear much like the people who had control over them when they were younger in life, which is why you often see kids going back to abusive parents and spouses going back to abusive spouses. So that's really what should be the question here, is not her Catholicism, but how much is she really influenced by that particular group still, which is a group that has this entire religiosity attached to white male supremacy and um, manifest destiny, where they do not look at others as human beings. Oftentimes, and I myself um, believe in God, have Christian beliefs, but I am very aware that there are Christian groups who do not look at people of color, gays, lesbians, or those who are not from the United States or of a different religion as less than. Yeah. Raven, I would add, the one word you're not using here is the word cult. Everything that I can read about people of praise suggests that it's a cult. I'm curious your thoughts on that as a licensed, trained mental health professional. It is a cult, and that's part of the problem, because what happens is that you have a lot of your inner self ripped out. Like when I was in the Navy going for boot camp, you hear the thing, well, we're going to tear you down to rebuild you in our image. Right. And that's what cults do. That's what cults do. Unlike the military, however, who expects you to get out and be a functional adult when you're done with boot camp, whether you're in service or not, cults do not look at things that way. It's really, we're going to tear out as much of you as possible 
and rebuild you with as much of us as possible. And hopefully that process will last a lifetime, even if you're not aware of there, it. There is no doubt in my mind, Raven, that if the tables were turned, if a Democratic president had put forward a nominee who was a member, a lifelong member, and had married into a 1,700-person cult, regardless of the church, the Republicans would be all over that. Raven, thanks for the call. Listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. But Democrats are so nice. Phil in Dixon, Illinois, it says here you want to disagree with me. What's up? Uh, Not with you, but with the caller you had. He did a great disservice to the people of praise community. They are not a cult. They were founded in 1971 in Notre Dame, Indiana. It's ecumenical, which means they're not only Catholics. There's Lutherans, Episcopalians, Methodists, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, non-denominational and other denominational Christians that belong to them. They pray together. They work together. They share things. They reach out to the communities, help the poor, move into neighborhoods that need, what should I say, that need some building up and need people to help them and so on. They are not a cult. And they teach that men should be the heads of the family and women are handmaids. No, no, that is not true. Yes, 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 they do. It's in their literature. Oh, it is. Well, um, uh, but but they are not a cult. The ones who are really... We have different definitions of cult, Phil, but... But uh, I get your point. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of small groups that are just fine and, you know, all well. My point was that if the Democrats had put forward a candidate who is a member of a, let's not use the word cult, a small religious group of 1,700 people that have very, very strong religious views that argue that men should have dominion over women, that women should be called handmaids. And in People of Praise, they literally called women handmaids up until Margaret Atwood's movies became so popular and men were referred to as heads, and the head and the handmaid, <laughs> as in head and hand, right? Like from Jefferson's old letters. Uh, actually, that was head and heart, but anyway. Uh, but if Democrats had put forward a candidate who was a member of a group like this, the Republicans would be screaming cult. That was my point. Liz in Los Angeles. Hey, Liz, what's up? We live in a very diversified country, politically, but religiously and ethnically. And it seems to me totally inappropriate to have another Opus Dei member. This Opus Dei is a secret society within the Catholic religion. And I understand the current nominee is a member of that group. And we How do you know that, have, Liz? I have not seen that reported anywhere. I heard it, and I heard on KPFK. She, you know, she is a I member think, of People of Praise, which is this little Catholic cult with 1,700 members. Are you sure you're not mixing them up? No, no. And and in addition, I heard it was also Opus Dei. But we have uh, four hmm. other justices that are members of that, and they're all, all Catholic, right. and they're all picked out by this man, Leonard Leo. Who is this man? And why mm-hmm. is he picking official officers? And, and we Let, should have... A he's mis- also a right-wing Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I assume that's, that's and he runs the is. Federalist Society, which which has funneled all these every single one of the judges. Uh, you know, Donald Trump has now appointed, if she passes, a third of the Supreme Court and a quarter of all federal judges have come out of Trump, which means a hundred percent of them came out of the Leonard Leo and the Federalist Society. And that's totally inappropriate. That is not a reflection yeah. of our population and our people. And besides, I'm a Lutheran. Yeah. 
you know what Lutherans are. Well, there's no Lutherans on the court. In fact, there's no Protestants at all on the court, to the best of my knowledge. So this is the situation. Liz, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. And, you know, again, on Opus Day with uh, Amy Byer, I, I just don't know. Deborah in Columbia, Tennessee. Hey, Deborah, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I have been thinking about this for a while. There are many churches and the evangelical churches that are so immersed in our politics right now. I understand that they're even behind some of the uh, the appointed judges that have been pushed through by Mitch McConnell. So the separation of church and state that makes them taxes exempt is no longer being uh, adhered to. So why is no one talking about taking their tax exempt status away? Well, I've been talking about it for years, Deborah, and I completely agree with you. This started in a big way during the administration of George W. Bush, who had been the evangelical outreach director for his father's campaign in 1988. That was when the, this this uh, strong coalition between the hardcore right-wing Protestant churches and the Republican Party got built. It was during the last years of the Reagan administration, the early years of the Bush administration, and George W. Bush was the guy who was the, the tip of the spear on that. And then throughout the George W. Bush administration, you had televangelists, you had uh, you know these religious broadcasting people all over the country, you had preachers in the pulpit, you even had Catholic priests talking politics in the pulpit and basically defying the Internal Revenue Service and Congress and the Department of Justice saying, we're going to break the law, screw you. And they have continued to break the law. They're continuing to break the law today. And we are subsidizing them with our tax dollars. I've been saying forever that the only religious institutions, in my opinion, that should be tax exempt are monasteries because they have no way of supporting themselves. But, you know, churches, televangelists, the whole, you know, Pat Robertson became a billionaire with a B, a billionaire through this. I mean, it's just crazy. So spot on. I'm totally on your side. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? I don't know if you know about this, but I was reading up on the white evangelical vote, and apparently it seems to be diminishing. It's around uh, 20% of the total vote for like over 50 to 65, and under 30, it's 8% of the vote. So it looks like in the coming years, the evangelicals as a one of the two main things that props up the Republican Party, corporations and the evangelicals are going to be disappearing. I think we're seeing the tail end of this, uh, Bill. It's it's the echo of, you know, it started with Billy Graham in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And then we got to, you know, uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and and uh, Jimmy Swaggart and all these uh, televangelists who became multi, multi-millionaires. Pat Robertson became a billionaire uh, selling this stuff. Uh, this, 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 you know, white Protestant evangel- evangelical, uh, you know, form of religion. And now they've been so discredited. Now you got Jerry Falwell Jr., you know, getting in trouble, you know, sexually and stuff. And, and Billy Graham's son, you know, involved in all these scandals. I think it's dying out, just like I think white supremacy is dying out in this country. I think there's a new generation coming up. Right. That means the remaining thing for us to take care of is, is Citizens United. Uh, yes. Once that's de- dealt with, they're not going to have much to prop themselves up with. Yeah, I'm with you. And last night on TV, I saw an ad on, I think it was MSNBC, that was for End Citizens United, a group called End Citizens United. The ad was only peripheral to that, which surprised me. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, there are active groups mm-hmm. out pointing out how toxic it is. Spot on. Damon in Denver. Hey, Damon, what's up? You made the point about Amy Coleman. Amy Coleman. 
Coney uh, Barrett about this theory, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments not being... Legitimate is the word she used, yeah. Legitimate, yes. Okay. And I listened to a lot of her uh, testimony yesterday and the day before yesterday. I certainly heard a lot which was disturbing, but I didn't hear any Democrats raise that with her. And I'm wondering... Yeah, nobody brought it up, if, which, which surprised me. Wow. Yeah. I certainly would have liked to have heard what she had to say if someone had posed the question to her. I would, too. I absolutely would, too, yeah. uh, Damon. I mean, there, were, there were a lot of questions. In some ways, some of the Democrats, anyway, missed an opportunity to talk about the Democratic platform and what's going on. I mean, the, this nomination is something that they're not going to be able to stop, so they could have used that time to do pretty much anything they wanted. And I think they should have been making a pitch for vote for Democrats right now, particularly, you know, like Jamie Harrison, you know, against Lindsey Graham. But, you know, it is what it is. David in Spotswood, speaking of spot, David in Spotswood, New Jersey, you're on the air. I haven't watched that much of the Supreme Court nomination, but what little I do is I hear the words legal process or I don't have the information to answer the question. And what I'd like to, what I wanted to suggest to the congressman or anybody out there that's listening is, is I think any time that the words legal, that I can't answer the question because I would need to know the legal facts, is that there should be an immediate two-week meeting of the Judiciary Committee to determine if the nominee should answer the question. But then by doing Hmm. so, we could stall this nomination until February. Yeah. It's not, number one, the rules are in the hands of the Republicans right now. They control a majority in the Senate, and so they get to decide what the rules are. Um, number two, I don't think that, you know, outside of criminal procedures or maybe, well, even with a subpoena, you remember all those mob bosses back, you know, in the 50s and 60s who were saying, you know, I, I'm exercising my First Amendment right? I mean, Amy Coney Barrett does not have to answer any questions she doesn't want to answer. I don't think you can force her to. Well, I'm just saying then, then maybe she should be disqualified when she uses the word that I, I would need to know what the legal process I is. think a lot of her answers were disqualifying yesterday. I'm with you. And, and, and I'm guessing that there's not going to be a single, and David, thank you for the call, I'm guessing there's not going to be a single Democrat voting for her. Because she was deceptive, she was evasive, and some of the things she did said were downright scary. So... You know, there's, there's, there's a lot going on there that we need to be talking about. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Barb in Deerfield, Wisconsin. Hey, Barb, what's on your mind today? Hey, I know that you are very knowledgeable about the Citizens United case, and I'd very much like to hear your reaction to disgusting diatribe by Ted Cruz, full of Republican propaganda, and in particular, his explanation of Citizens United. Would you please tell us what this really was and its consequences? I I have to confess, Barb, I did not hear Ted Cruz, uh, or if I did, I wasn't paying careful attention to his rant about Citizens United. Do you want to illuminate me? I mean, I can tell you, I've read both the case and the dissents, and have written about it extensively. But specifically, what are the points that you would like to hear rebutted or responded to? It's what he didn't say. He just said, you want to know what Citizens United is? Everybody's talking about it. Well, all it was was Democrats didn't want a critical video made of Hillary Clinton. So they didn't want any freedom of speech. Oh, yeah, I did catch part of that. That's all he basically said. He said they want to ban books and they want to ban movies. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And books. He okay, books uh, just just a quick recap. The Citizens United was a an anti-Hillary Clinton astroturf organization that had put together a movie, an hour-long or 90-minute-long movie about Hillary Clinton. It was, I think it was called The Truth About Hillary. And it was basically trashing Hillary Clinton. There was an election law in the books that said within, as I recall, 90 days of an election, Anything like that that is specifically, you know, obviously partisan would be considered a campaign contribution. And therefore, if Citizens United was spending money promoting this movie, that would have to be considered a campaign contribution to the... This was in 2010, so this would have been the 2008 election. So this was Hillary Clinton versus Barack Obama back then. This is when they expected that Hillary Clinton was going to be the nominee. In any case, it would have had to be considered a campaign contribution. In response to that, basically, the Supreme Court blew up a whole bunch of those laws that were passed after uh, in the Jerry Ford administration and the Jimmy Carter administration following the Nixon bribery scandals. And they did it with this very bizarre, twisted logic. They said that basically the reason why it's inappropriate to restrain the speech of corporations, in this case, a nonprofit corporation, but a corporation nonetheless, 
The reason why it's inappropriate to restrain their speech is because corporations are the most well-informed actors, their phrase, their word, in the uh, economic sphere. And by telling them that they cannot you know, inflict their political opinions on us, we are depriving ourselves of hearing what they have to say. So mm-hmm. it wasn't actually so much, it was argued as free speech, but it wasn't like, you know, the corporations have a right to free speech, although that's already been established. That was back in 1976 in the Buckley case. But rather it was, you have a right to listen and your right to listen to corporations is impaired if the corporations are forbidden from, from, from doing this. And, oh, you know, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz is, is uh, uh, just pathetic. I mean, you know, the, he tries to twist things around and all this kind of stuff. It's just bizarre. I strongly really encourage, Barb, you and anybody else who's listening, you can very easily Google uh, Justice Stevens's dissent in the Citizens United case. It was joined by Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Breyer, and I'm not sure who else was on the court at that point in time in 2009, 2010. That dissent is, it's not long, it it runs a couple pages, and it summarizes the case and points out the stupidity of the way that it was decided, that this was just a naked power grab by giant corporations and right-wing billionaires. It's really worth reading. Thank you for explaining to America the truth. I knew you would. Good talking to you. Mark in Sauk City, Wisconsin. Hey, Mark, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's on your mind today? As I pointed out before, that I get a kick out of these. They call themselves the Federalist Society, but they have nothing to do with you know the Federalists who were there at the founding. Judge Amy claims to be a originalist, and I would point out to her, well, if you want to get the original thoughts, you could turn to the Federalist Papers and get a lot of insights into what they thought from them. And additionally, that if she's such an originalist, I'd point out to her again that, and I've mentioned before, that in Federalist 81, Hamilton says there's not a syllable in the Constitution that says the Supreme Court gets to decide the constitutionality of laws. I mean, that he says indeed that laws should be constructed according to the Constitution. I wish that one of these members of Congress, and frankly, it could be either party, one of these senators, would ask the question, Article 3, Section 2 says that the Supreme Court shall operate under regulations defined by Congress and within the realm of exceptions defined by Congress. Is it your opinion, Judge Barrett, that Congress should be able to pass a law and include a provision in that law that this law may not be reviewed by the Supreme Court? Somebody should, this is called court stripping, and somebody should uh, confront this issue head on. I realize it would cause a small nuclear explosion in Washington, D.C. I think it's time for it. Back to you, Mark. I agree with you there because, it, you know, I'd ask her direct questions. Do you believe in the Emoluments Clause? Do you believe that the 14th Amendment to the Constitution is valid? Yes or no? Don't let her say, well, that's, a, that's, a, you know, that, that's something we, you know, that arguments for all that kind of thing. Because the 13th, 14th, 15th, and I'll add the 16th Amendment there are cores to, you know, well, the 16th, of course, is taxation, which the Federal Society hates, you know, undoubtedly. But, I mean, those three amendments, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, you know, ensure the rights of citizenship to people born here, ensure the rights, you know, of, of people not to be enslaved anymore. And just act here directly, do you believe slavery should be legal again? I mean, if you don't believe in those amendments... Well, I'd like to go after the question, you know, she has on two different occasions used the phrase possibly illegitimate 14th Amendment. 
What does that mean? Are you saying this the way that Southern politicians have been saying it since the 1870s, that these, that these three amendments that basically ended slavery in the United States, that these are illegitimate because Confederate states were not impaneled, they were not part of the House and Senate, the, the senators and members of Congress from those states were not available to vote on them back in, you know, during the, the, the Reconstruction era? Is that why it's illegitimate? Or do you have some specific other constitutional argument against it? I mean, she has written this twice, and I've not heard yeah, anybody it, bring it up. Yeah, and I've actually called Amy Klobuchar's office and encouraged her to answer that, ask that question, even though I don't live in her district, because she's on the right. committee. I mean, that you have to confront her with that because it is, it is something so outside of mainstream thought. Because as far as, you know, the South being brought back into the Union, the North was far more forgiving of the rebellion than traditionally has been, throughout history has been, you know, that has been afforded to people who led rebellions. I mean, that typically they did not fare well when um, they were defeated. I mean, that... uh, Right, in the United States or anywhere else. In the United States. And this was... Right, this was, again, you know, Lincoln's big thing is let's heal this country. I mean, that's the essence of the Gettysburg Address. And he was trying to reconcile, he was trying to bring everybody together. It's why he put a slaveholding Southerner, Andrew Johnson, on his ticket. And Andrew Johnson was just one very, very sleazy man. The story of the woman that he, the first woman that he bought as a slave that he enslaved when she was 14. And just the stories around this are just, you know, just make your head explode. I mean, they're just terrible. And, you know, Lincoln thought he could pull the country together, but the, the Southerners, the Confederates, they have no interest in pulling the country together. They didn't then, they don't today. They're trying to tear the country Correct. apart. These white supremacists. Ab- absolutely. All, absolutely. All, all in the name of the lost cause, you know, this, this white supremacist ideology. It is, it is absolutely terrible. So, uh, Mark, I'm with you. Thank you very much for that call. And I really do think that these core issues, because this is what's going to come up, Judge Barrett, is it constitutional for Congress to increase the size of the court? I mean, if she says no, my jaw would drop. Is it constitutional for Congress to pass a law providing an exception to what the Supreme Court may rule on? Which is right there in Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution. And if she says no again, I would, my jaw would drop. And both of those set up a response to a 6-3 to three court. Ray in Lancaster, California. What's on your mind, Ray? I'm just livid with the, uh, this GOP, this hypocritical GOP. Now that there's a real possibility that the Senate could be flipped, GOP, they're worried about uh, Democrats expanding the court. Now it's a pejorative term called expanding, calling packing the court. But, but they're allowing this corrupt, unpopular president to uh, pack the court with three judges. We can't fall with that. We have to be tough. I've called Camilla Harris's office uh, twice now, just uh, urging her and Joe not to give in to the bullying. It's like a bully punching you in the nose and then telling you, oh, are you going to push me back? Please don't push me back. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the GOP, uh, gave, um, I, what I, what I told uh, something I suggested to Camilla uh, 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 Harris when the GOP asked, again, asked her, are you going to pack the court? I told her to simply say, don't, don't back away from it. She and Joe should say, uh, I'm going to hold up my oath to the American citizens and use the Constitution in any way I can to protect the health and welfare of the American citizens, unlike what you all are doing. 
Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm fed up with them. I'm, I'm on, on Facebook, uh, and I'm, I'm telling, I'm encouraging people to, to, to call the senators and be, be, be tough. We cannot let the uh, people cannot fall into fall into this game that the GOP are playing again. We got to be tough and pull the gloves off, Tom. Yeah, this reminds me of back in the '80s when Reagan and and Limbaugh made it fashionable to accuse Democrats of being liberals. And yeah. the result of that was that for the better part of 15 or 20 years, Democrats refer, refused to call themselves liberals because they were just yeah. so afraid that the conservatives would keep pointing fingers at them. You know, hey, bring it on. Bring it on. You yeah. think you think, you know, you're concerned I'm going to pack the court. Damn right. If I think that's the best thing for America, for the health and welfare of this country, I will do that. I will do whatever the Constitution allows, Amen. just as you have. There you Amen. go. Yeah, we got to be tough. Names and kick Part ass. of our character is. As Democrats, we're just we're, we're nice, and that's a good character. But there's a time when we have to look at the big picture, the long run picture. What's good for America? We've got to be stand up. We got to stand up to the bullies. We've got to be role models and stand up to the bullies, and they'll back down. And they will be. I tell I tell people that the same people who are calling names and, and, and beating up on the Democrats, they're going to be in line enjoying the benefits now, just like uh, Barack's renewable uh, uh, renewable energy plan. They're they're in line enjoying the job. Uh, right. that, that he created. We, we, we got to be tough and look at the long run, the big picture, Tom. Yeah, just like all those boomer tea partiers who were carrying signs that said, keep your government hands off my Medicare. <laughs> it's a, yeah, spot on. Ray, thanks a lot. Very, very well said. Tom in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, Tom, what's up? I'm a lifelong Democrat. Or I was, now I'm an independent. And one of the reasons I am an independent, no longer a Democrat, is because of the abortion issue. And this is a difficult issue for us all within families across the nation. Nothing simple or easy to talk about. It's tough. That's so you think that, that, that police and courts should intervene in this difficult, in this difficult issue? No, sir. I, I, not, not at all, no. No. But what I'm saying... What then what's your problem with the Democrats' position the that Democrats, it's not the job of the police and the courts? Well, the Democratic Party, they've made it sound like it's something that's simple, that it's something that... That you shouldn't have concern no, about. No, no Democrat has ever said that, Tom. No, no oh. Democrat has ever said. Oh yeah, just get an abortion. No, no. This is getting an abortion is a, for most people is a very difficult decision. Number one. Number two, yes. in the second or third trimester, once there's a possibility of viability of the fetus, it's damn near impossible. Last year in the right. United States, there were around six thousand what are called late-term abortions, third trimester yes. abortions. Every mm -hmm. single one of them involved a fetus that would have died on birth, was in the process of dying, was so severely malformed they could not have survived. I mean, th these are god-awful, agonizing decisions. And when you insert the government into the middle of these decisions between a, a woman and her doctor, how would you feel, Tom, if, if you had to, if you had to, you know, basically consult with the government before you had a vasectomy or something. I mean, actually, there's not even an analogy for this for men because nothing that you and I do as men literally threatens our lives. I, I agree with you 100% on that, Tom. But what, what I'm saying is that the Democratic Party has talked about it as a, as a simple issue. And that, that's the, the fact of the matter. They you have know, not. I think it, it, it is a The Democratic issue. Party has never... Tom, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just not going to no. let you misrepresent this. I'm going to move along. The Democratic Party has never characterized abortion as a simple issue. Nathan in West Los Angeles. Hey, Nathan, what's up? So I, I thought it was telling that, that Judge Barrett avoid the question uh, posed. Her record stands for itself. 
East Senator Feinstein and Senator Leahy both asked her about opinions that Scalia had written in the past, and Alito as well, I think. Judge Barrett had historically mentioned or written that she agreed with the dissenting opinions of those judges where the court either, the Supreme Court had either upheld or uh, overturned something that uh, Scalia or Alito disagreed with, Roe v. Wade being one of the major ones, um, and the ACA the other. And Judge Barrett talked about, you know, how she would be unbiased, avoids answering the question. And, of course, a lot of the Republican senators are talking about the, the Ginsburg rule. I, I don't have as much history on the Ginsburg rule. Do you know if that was RBG as, as Yeah, sort it's of, not a rule. Uh, it's, this is a phrase that the Republicans have invented. And, uh, you know, because Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not the first person to come before the United States Senate and basically refused to answer any questions about how she would rule on specific cases. Um, I mean, this goes back to, to the 19th century. But by calling it a Ginsburg, the Ginsburg rule, the Republicans think that they're making this all very, very palatable for the American public who might be concerned that Amy Coney Barrett is going to come in and basically flip the entire court 180, which obviously is what's going to happen. Did you catch Senator? This is, this Senator is just Lee? like, by the way, Nathan, this is this is the same thing that uh, Mitch McConnell did four years ago when he said that the reason he was holding up the nomination of Merrick Garland was because of the Biden rule. Well, there's no such thing as a Biden rule. Right. Joe Biden had once back in the 80s or 90s made some offhand comment about how, you know, uh, in nominating and, and, and doing hearings on a Supreme Court judge in the weeks before an election probably wasn't a good idea. Mitch McConnell twisted that around, turned it into a rule, and every Republican on the committee, you'll recall four years ago, uh, who was questioned about why they would not hold hearings um, for Merrick Garland said, well, we're just following the Biden rule. Uh, you know, it was BS then, it's BS now. Did you catch Senator Lee, right? You know, he mentioned that Judge Barrett, shoot, he had something towards the end that was very, uh, very twisted. Um, she had a very good answer. It was that she puts herself in the position of the person who the decision goes against or the party whom the decision goes against. I mean, it's the same as, you know, how do you how do you put yourself in the minds of, of the uh, of the founders and framers? Um, you know, it's, it's just uh, uh, or the people of the time. Now they've changed originalism. It's not we're channeling James Madison. Now it's we're channeling all the people around James Madison. Barbara in Anderson, California. Hey, Barbara, what's up? Oh, I would uh, just, uh, you know, talk a lot about abortion, and I just uh, might like to tell the ladies out there that there may be another option for them, and it's called a tubal ligation, and what happens is that you go in the hospital for about an hour, and they fix you so that uh, you cannot have any more children. So right, I but thought, just because a woman gets an abortion doesn't mean she never wants to have children. It may well mean I that this is not that. A, an appropriate time for her to have children. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, it may be another option, because when, you don't, okay. when you're through having children, you don't have to worry about it, you know? 
No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I got a vasectomy. I mean, you know, because the, the deal Louise and I had was she gave birth to three children. If either one yeah. of us was going to, you know, go under the knife, it was going to be me because yeah. she'd already done her duty, as it were, or been through her pain. Craig in Half Moon Bay, California. Hey, Craig, what's up? Always a pleasure, Tom. I have a question pursuant to the Second Amendment regarding well-regulated militias, which seems to be a problem. We now have militias roaming the United States who are violent. They threaten to kidnap governors. Could these people be allowed to own firearms and purchase ammunition if we have evidence that they have joined cults or a group that, uh, that, that propose these kinds of violent tactics? Or if they attend events where they're marching with Nazi flags, should Nazis, people who say, I'm a Nazi or I support Nazis, be allowed to own firearms and purchase ammunition? I do have a resolution, a PDF I'd like to email you and, you know, and have you look at it, maybe comment, at it, comment yeah. on it at a later Craig, time. Craig, let's just be very clear. Every state in the union has a well-regulated militia. It's called the National Guard. These groups of armed, right-wing, white supremacist, racist terrorists are not militias. They call themselves militias. They are not militias. They never have been. They never will be. They don't fall under the definition of well-regulated militia in the Second Amendment. And in my opinion, they don't fall under any definition of a militia. And therefore, I don't think that we need to, to, to try to regulate them or try to legislate them or anything. We need to call them what they are, terrorist gangs. They are white supremacist uh, terrorist gangs, period, full stop. And, uh, you know, end of, end of speech. Um, Craig, thanks a lot for the call. Lauren in Seattle. Hey, Lauren, what's up? Hi. You had the debate about the oath of office and who should give it. Calvin Coolidge, mm -hmm. his oath of office was administered by his father. And Article 2, Section 8 of the Constitution does not specify who will administer the oath. Thank you for that reminder, Lauren. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't know about Coolidge's father, but I was pretty sure that the uh, the Constitution doesn't say that that you know that that has to happen that way. So thank you. I, I You're this welcome. Is, this is such a privilege here, hanging out with you know some of the smartest people on the planet every day for three hours. I I, I am in awe. Catherine in Baltimore, Maryland. Hey, Catherine, your thoughts? Hi. Hi, Tom. Um, I am uh, fairly concerned about uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, decision because, remember, uh, Elena Kagan has to recuse because she helped work on the ACA uh, during the Obama administration, which means we only have two liberal justices uh, to deal with that. And the other thing I'm concerned about, if Trump uh, starts uh, screaming about, you know, mail-in voter fraud or whatever and tries to take this to the Supreme Court, we need to remember that Roberts and Kavanaugh are the ones who conspired. They were Bush lawyers who conspired to make this uh, Brooks Brothers riot down in uh, Miami in the Bush score thing about the, the hanging chads and whatever. So uh, do you think that they should have to recuse themselves if there's you know, a, a case that goes to them about the election? Uh, yes. <laughs> and, and with regard to recusal, the Supreme Court 
uh, is not bound by the federal code of judicial ethics that other federal courts are. Right. And so it's up to Elena Kagan whether she's going to recuse herself or not. It's up to John. Uh, it's up to uh, uh, you know to uh, uh, both. Uh, I, I, you know, Roberts actually, and yeah, I, yeah. Well, I was thinking, you know, John Roberts. Um, yes, John Roberts and, and Brett Kavanaugh were both. I believe Roberts was down in Florida. I believe Kavanaugh was. Both of them have talked about, or you know, it's on their resumes essentially that they worked on that case. So, uh, you know. Whether they're going to recuse themselves or not, whether we're going to see a repeat of 2000 or not, I don't know. This is this, you know, kind of falls into the category of we're all holding our breath to see what happens in, on January 20th. That's going to be the day. I mean, that's that's when the term expires. Yeah. Catherine, thank you for the call. I, no quick or easy answers here. We just all need to stay involved and get as many people out to vote as possible. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Dan in Seattle. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind today? seems like Trump and the judge nominee here have communicated through some of the intermediaries like the Heritage Foundation and the Federal Society. Why aren't we talking about that? Like, why aren't we talking about the fact that she's basically communicated with them and then testifies that she hasn't? I think because if she lies, they have no way of proving that it's a lie. And so why bother? This is true of probably all of the nominees that have come before the court, or at least all the right-wing nominees that have come before the court in recent years, given that there's this multi-hundred million dollar right-wing infrastructure that has been committed since the 70s to bringing judges onto the federal bench and has now finally achieved their goal. Point is well taken, Dan. I'm just guessing that the Democrats aren't going there because they know what the outcome will be. But, you know, well said. Michelle in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Michelle, what's on your mind? I was calling to see what you thought about the presentation that Senator Whitehouse did on yesterday. I think it was absolutely powerful because the American people have no idea the antics, in my opinion, the corruption that the Republicans have created among the American people, among our republic. I agree, Michelle. In fact, there's a uh, 10-minute YouTube video of Sheldon Whitehouse doing his presentation yesterday, and I retweeted it last night saying, if you watched absolutely nothing else in yesterday's hearings, or today's hearings is when I tweeted it, you must watch this. And uh, that's still on my Twitter timeline, or whatever they call that thing, feed or whatever. I completely agree with you. He went after it again this morning. Now, it's a 28-minute one on there as well, on YouTube as well. It was absolutely oh. masterful. Okay, an, I, I will oh my God. for it that, is, and I'll, I'll retweet the longer so one. I think that the American people, they don't read. They are so ill-informed until they don't understand what is at stake here. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and Michelle. The, and I would add that the probably the reason why our media do not report on the kinds of things that Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, the Democrat from Rhode Island, was talking about yesterday, he was basically talking about how billionaires are pulling the strings for our entire judiciary so that they will get judges on the courts who will rule to help them out in everything from pollution cases to tax cases. That was what he laid out. And the reason the media doesn't talk about this is because the most of our media in the United States is owned by essentially the same people. 
giant corporations and multimillionaires and billionaires who own them. And that's why it doesn't make it out. And God bless Sheldon Whitehouse. He actually went in and made a contribution to his, even though he's not running for election this year, it's not for another two years, I went to his campaign website yesterday and tossed him a small donation just by way of saying, good on you. Michelle, thank you. Tyrone in Harlem, New York. Hey, Tyrone, what's up? Yeah, that was masterful. I was like stuck to my earphones listening to how he was breaking down the intricacies of how he knocked down the Janus case and how long it took six years before they felt that it was right to strike. But it was masterful. I'm going to listen to it again because it's a lot of stuff. But what I was concerned about is, are people paying attention to the fact that Donald Trump told people to vote twice? He told his followers to vote right. twice. And if they don't think that these people are not going to do it, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And if you don't think these people are not going to do it, we we got another yeah, I thing think, coming. I think that was outrage number sixteen thousand two hundred and twelve, and we just kind of slipped by. Uh, Tyrone, I, I I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they can pull it off. We've got pretty good protections against people voting twice. We do, but it's not going to stop them from trying. And the fact that when they interviewed that lady, and she they told her, if Trump tell you to wear a mask, would you wear it? Oh yeah, I wear it then. Trump's right. telling people right. not to wear a mask, knowing they get all the information stating that this is what they need to do to protect themselves, and they won't do it. That's because he's going after herd immunity. And, and the, the story in the White House is, hey, we're all going to get it eventually. And, you know, unless you're old or sick or black or Hispanic or Native American, you don't have to worry about it. So all those white people in the White House, they're just, just they're chilling out. Tyrone, thank you for the call. Spot on. Terry in Eugene, Oregon. Hey, Terry, thanks for watching this on YouTube. What's up? If this confirmation goes through, which it is, the whole sham of it, is it possible? What is his powers? Could he go back in and perhaps balance the court, I don't know, by executive order saying, I'm going to add six more justices to make it 15 or, I don't know, perhaps 21? Does he have that much power? Can he do that? And then perhaps make regulations on him like you have to serve for 15 years before can even get to become a Supreme Court justice? Those powers, Terry, are reserved to Congress. Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution says that the Supreme Court shall operate under regulations and exceptions defined by Congress. The regulations part means that Congress, the House and Senate, get to decide how many members the Supreme Court has, how long they can serve on the court, and even what kinds of cases they can decide and not decide a power that hasn't been used in a long, long time by this Congress. In fact, it has never really been used in a consequential way. So Biden doesn't have that power, but Congress does. And that's why it's so important that we not only take the House, but the Senate, or hold the House, but take the Senate as well. Thanks a lot for the call. Jonathan, is it Wanta, New York? Yes, it is. How are you doing, Tom? Now, I heard Ted Cruz, and he was talking about, oh, the Democrats are hypocrites, because earlier Biden said we shouldn't add any more justices. Leahy said we shouldn't. RBG said we shouldn't. But why couldn't they just own it? Why, why couldn't they just say it's a different time? Maybe back then it wasn't quite as partisan as it is. It was wrong then, but it's right now is basically what I'm saying. And also, you know, I think it was right uh, then. What Congress did in 1863 when Abraham Lincoln said basically to Congress, because we were in the middle of the Civil War at that time, 
He said, I'm very concerned that this is the Supreme Court that arguably kicked off the Civil War in 1856 with the Dred Scott decision. And so Lincoln said, I'm going to add Supreme Court justice to the court. And he took the court. He didn't do it, but he requested Congress to do it. And Congress added another another member to the Supreme Court. After Lincoln was assassinated, his vice president, Lincoln had had this in his second term, this unity government where he'd brought a southern slaveholding Democrat onto the ticket with him, which was a huge mistake, Andrew mm-hmm. Johnson. And Congress said, you know, we don't want Andrew Johnson to have an opportunity to put anybody on the court. So they got together and they passed a law saying that there were only seven members of the court. And at that Mm -hmm. moment in time, there were nine people on the court and a tenth seat that was open. They took it down to seven. That didn't mean they kicked anybody off the court, but if anybody had died, they wouldn't have been replaced. And then when Andrew Johnson was safely out of office and Ulysses Grant was in charge, then the Republicans said, okay, we're going to take the court, we're going to expand it again from seven, this time up until nine. And that's where it stayed until now. But they did it because of concerns about basically Southern conservatives. And frankly, that's where we are today. I mean, the party names have changed, but it's Southern conservatives once again. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... 
Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Tom, listening to KTRC in Santa Fe. Hey, Tom, you're on the air. What's up? I'm not a, a Democrat, but I listen to your show quite often, and we disagree in, on things, but uh, that's one of the great privileges of living in this country. But I do agree with Senator Whitehouse questioning. Dark money de- does have an influence in politics and played a large role uh, in the judge's uh, nomination to the Supreme Court. There's, there's no doubt about that. I believe that Judge Barrett definitely knew President Trump's attempt to uh, do away with the Affordable Care Act way before January of nineteen seven of 2017, excuse me. And, uh, you know, it's disappointing to, to know that, but uh, I, and I agree with Senator Hobachar on following the tracks. Those are things that I agree with. And uh, um, I love, I just wanted you to know, I love listening to your show and, uh, and I'll continue to do so. Well, thank you, Tom. Thanks. It's, it's nice to hear uh, reasonable conversation from dissenting voices. And, and by the way, feel free to call in and challenge me on any topic you want. Um, I love those kind of conversations. And, and you know, in, in, unless the, the person on the other side gets abusive, I, I try to be very, very reasonable. Oh, yeah. Tom, thank you. Definitely. For yes. Good talking with you. Thank you. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind? I've been wondering about the process for adding justice to the court, I assume that it, you need a two-thirds majority in both houses, at least. Uh, or is it no. treated sort of like as house cleaning kind of a thing, you know? Uh, it, 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 the, 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 there's no stipulation in the Constitution for anything other than the legislature can, Congress can regulate the court. It's Article Three, Section Two. You can read it. It's very short. It's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. And and so um, Congress then makes their own rules, and those rules get recertified every two years when a new Congress comes in. And uh, so things like the filibuster, which requires right now sixty votes, there was a time when it required sixty-six votes or a two-thirds majority anyway. Um, but that that's up to the to the body itself. So if the Democrats come in and take the Senate, and if they blow up the filibuster, which there's a broad, I think, consensus among Democrats needs to be done, then they can pass anything with a simple majority, including expanding the Supreme Court. It simply requires that both the House and the Senate pass it with a majority vote and that it be signed by the president. That's all. It's just a simple piece of legislation changing the number of people on the court. It's been done, you know, five or six or seven times since the founding of the Republic. It sounds too easy for such a difficult thing. Plus, they, they should put a rule in the Senate that you need a 60 vote uh, majority for Supreme Court justices. That's my feeling. Uh, well, we, we had that uh, right up until Mitch McConnell blew it up. There was a filibuster provision for Supreme Court justices. And in order to get Brett Kavanaugh in, Mitch McConnell um, had the Senate change its own rules. And so it's a simple majority now for Supreme Court people. Um, but there was, but, but again, those are Senate rules. They're, those are not constitutional requirements. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it has happened multiple times. I mean, you know, when, when Abe Lincoln was assassinated and Andrew Johnson became president, Lincoln was an anti-slavery Republican. Andrew Johnson was a pro-slavery, slave-owning Democrat. And there was an opening on the Supreme Court. 
and and the the Republicans controlled the House and Senate at that time because they had just won the Civil War and half the the, the Southern states, which were the the Democratic bastion, uh, literally did not have representation in Congress. Um, and and so uh, the Congress got together and said we're going to reduce the size of the Supreme Court uh, down to uh, as I recall it was from ten down to seven I could be wrong on that I mm-hmm. uh, but but they reduced it by by two or three in order to prevent Andrew Johnson from appointing anybody to the Supreme Court and then after Johnson left his term of office in uh, what was it 1868 i think and uh ulysses s grant came in and became president a good you know safe republican then congress met again and raised it back up to nine i think it went from ten to seven to nine uh during that period of time um there was a similar thing that happened in the election of 1800 uh thomas jefferson beat john adams in november of 1800 but he didn't take office until march of 1801 and so during that five-month period uh john adams passed a law reducing the number of members of the Supreme Court by one so that the incoming President Jefferson wouldn't be able to appoint anybody. Jefferson came in along with his Democratic Republicans, which is now what we call the Democratic Party, and passed another law that increased the size of the Supreme Court by two. It's not like it hasn't happened before. It's just the last time it happened was when Ulysses Grant did Mm -hmm. it right after, you know, after Andrew Johnson left. But it's pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. process. Donovan in Redway, California. Hey, Donovan, what's on your mind? The idea that the people should have a say in who the Supreme Court nominee is. And rather than, to my idea, this would probably take, you would probably know this, a constitutional amendment of some kind. But rather than having the Senate confirm the Supreme Court nominee, the president nominates, or the Congress, which is all of Congress, the representatives and the senators, second the nomination, and then we organize a national vote on up or down on this person so that the people actually have a say. And we can be like, no, no, we don't like them. They're uh, not who we want. Choose somebody else. What do you think of that? I respectfully disagree. Number one, it would require a, a, a modification of the Constitution, so it's not going to happen. But more importantly is the concept. The idea of the courts was that they would be nonpartisan, they would be nonpolitical, they wouldn't be beholden to popular opinion. So popular opinion, for example, was, yeah, we've got to have, you know, separate but equal or slavery or whatever. The, the court wouldn't necessarily go along with that. The court would be a, an impartial arbiter, as it were. Now, it hasn't obviously it hasn't always worked out that way. In fact, it hasn't even usually worked out that way. But the moment that you put Supreme Court justice, justices up for essentially election, and this is why I oppose judicial elections in general, um, what you're doing is is throwing judges into the political scrum, you know, into the into the political debate. And I think that that's a bad idea because then they'll be inclined to make promises and cut deals and find supporters and and you know, I, politics gets very very ugly. I think that the court should be apolitical and I think I think that when Mitch McConnell used this as an excuse and I'm, and I'm disappointed, frankly, that the Democrats are simply quoting McConnell's excuse. Um, instead, they should be saying, you know, you kept us from having our nominee last time. We are going to keep you from having your nominee this time. It's just fair. And once it's done, it's done. That, that is what, in my opinion, Biden and Harris should be saying. But what they're saying, they're, they're basically quoting Mitch McConnell. And Mitch McConnell invented this thing. He called it the Biden rule because of some offhand remark Joe Biden had made years ago. 
Um, but you know, he's they're they're referring to it that way, and you know, which I think is just a mistake. I I, I think that you know it, it. What we need to have are Supreme Court justices and judges at all levels that come out of the law. If we're going to listen to anybody with regard to this, it should be the American Bar Association. The American Bar Association has fairly objective criteria to rank the qualifications of judges. Amy Coney Barrett has been a judge for only two years, maybe three, but I believe it's two years. In fact, Barack Obama had nominated a, an African-American woman for the Seventh Circuit that Barrett sits on right now, had nominated an African-American woman, and Mitch McConnell blocked that nomination for, for I believe, a little over a year and left that seat open specifically so that Amy Barrett could have that seat. So now you've got the, the nominee for the Supreme Court is sitting on a stolen seat, circuit court, and then she's going to occupy a stolen seat on the Supreme Court. I think it's crazy. Carl in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Hey, Carl, what's up? I was wondering if you can pack a court, can you demote a judge in the Supreme Court to another federal court lower down. Yes, you can. And this is the essence of Elizabeth Warren's proposal for uh, term limits in the Supreme Court. The Constitution says that all federal judges have lifetime tenure. Uh, It does not say that only Supreme Court justices do. And it doesn't talk at all about moving people between courts. So Congress, Article 3, Section 2, Congress can regulate the Supreme Court. In fact, it must regulate the Supreme Court. Congress literally created the Supreme Court in its current form, decided how many members were on it, decided where they meet, defines its budget and everything else. So Congress can say, you know, after 18 years on the court or 15 years on the court, you get to go back to being a member of the Fourth Circuit or the, or the Seventh Circuit or whatever it may be. So, yes, absolutely. Mike in Los Center, Washington. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? I heard an interview on uh, Useful Idiots uh, the other day. They were interviewing Samuel Moyne about the Supreme Court. He wrote an article on Dissent Magazine that the court is not your friend. And I was wondering if you had any suggestions on how we can rein in the power of the Supreme Court, because I don't think we have the political will uh, to pack the court in this country. And I know you wrote a book on it and that um, I I was just hoping that you could share with us some of the the most uh, important points you think that could uh, affect that change. And also, how do we... um, um, go against the Republican propaganda? Do we have to just keep repeating these points? Um, The Republican propaganda, you know, we just need to keep telling the truth. With regard to the court, number one, I do think we need to expand the size of the court. Number two, it is possible, and I talk about this at length. In fact, I learned this from John Roberts and and, the current Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, that it is possible for Congress to pass legislation that says the court can't rule on this. You know, this is the law. We're making the law, period. Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution. I think Congress needs to seriously consider this court-stripping legislation. And there needs to be some serious challenges to judicial review. The court has way too much power. I absolutely agree with this. And that power, by the way, that the court has, that way too much power, was not given to it by Congress or the Constitution. It was taken by the court itself onto itself in 1803. Sheldon Whitehouse was absolutely the most critical, the most important, the most vital, the most shocking 
that I've seen so far. A couple of weeks ago, Sheldon Whitehouse made an oblique comment in an interview on uh, CNN or MSNBC. I happened to catch it. And in fact, uh, Sean reached out to Senator Whitehouse's office and asked if he'd be willing to come on our program and discuss it. And basically they were like, "Mm, we're holding this back right now. But basically what he said on television was there is a conspiracy of great money to basically hijack this country, to hijack the democratic process. And he just laid this out, Sheldon Whitehouse, the Democrat from Rhode Island, one of the absolute most you know, brilliant, and not just intellectually, but he knows how to make a presentation. He knows how to build a case. One of the most brilliant senators on this panel, you know, just laid it out. There is a group of right-wing billionaires and foundations associated with them. They have created a blind trust or a a front organization that they route their money through called Donors Trust that is constructed in such a way that we never learn who it is who actually gave them money. Over a quarter billion dollars have flowed through this channel and the money is, we don't know where it's coming from. The Washington Post, I believe, perhaps it was the New York Times, had a front page story about Charles Koch is finally getting the Supreme Court he wants. Charles Koch, one of the richest men in America, is worth probably close to $100 billion and has been funding right-wing causes since the 60s, as far as we can tell. Certainly his daddy was before that with the John Birch Society that a quarter billion dollars has flowed into these various organizations. And one of these organizations, the Federalist Society and Leonard Leo, have been huge recipients, tens of millions of dollars of this money. And they have been picking and and nurturing hardcore right-wing judges literally out of college, out of law school, and training them up in the way of becoming a hardcore right-wing judge and getting them appointments on the bench. Amy Coney Barrett had just been a lawyer who was signing full-page newspaper ads to end abortion and, and respect life from fertilization forward, which basically means in their minds they're opposed to the birth control pill, even though, you know, the birth control pill typically interrupts the cycle before fertilization occurs. You know, they've got this extensive mythology about that you know, has resulted in anti-birth control legislation being proposed by these same people, by Republicans, you know, largely being influenced by either Catholics or evangelical Protestants who have bought this idea that, that at the moment of conception, that's, that's when God decides that life is going to happen. And he just laid this all out, that all this money is coming from these dark interests, and part of this money is to continue the process. It's to support the Citizens United decision that made all this dark money possible, that blew up all the good government laws that we had after the Nixon bribery scandals, many of which were passed during the Republican Jerry Ford presidency in 1974. So, you know, here we are in in five and six, right up to the Buckley decision in 76. I was surprised, frankly, he didn't mention Buckley, but, you know, hey, I'm I'm a Supreme Court wonk. But... He did this absolutely brilliant job of laying this out, of just putting it right out there and saying, here's what's going on. This is what Hillary Clinton referred to 20 years ago as the vast right-wing conspiracy. 
You've got a bunch of right-wing billionaires. These are the people that Franklin Roosevelt took down. He called them the economic royalists. He said, they hate me and I welcome their hatred. He challenged them on every front. He beat them so badly that they stopped engaging in politics right up until 1971 when Lewis Paul wrote his infamous memo. The next year, Richard Nixon put him on the Supreme Court. And within four years in the Buckley decision, he was saying, oh, it's fine if billionaires own politicians. That's called free speech. So Sheldon Whitehouse laid all this out and basically said, what we're watching here is a conspiracy to pack the courts with hardcore right-wingers who don't believe in democracy, don't believe that the government has any kind of protective function with regard to the people, and don't believe that the people have rights unless the government says they have rights. For example, the right to an abortion. Or the right to get married if you're not, you know, a straight cis person. This is what Sheldon Whitehouse laid out, and he pointed out there have been 80 five to four decisions where the court has ruled against we the people in every single one of these 80 decisions. And every single one of them was 5-4 Republicans versus Democratic appointees. Every single one of them. And every single one of them had been heavily supported. In fact, the cases have been brought before the court by this quarter billion dollar dark money machine. What do we do in a world where there's no Roe v. Wade and where the Affordable Care Act has been struck down and where the Supreme Court starts striking down all kinds of laws that protect the rights of workers and, and your right not to be polluted? and any kind of legislation that might restrain the actions of billionaires. Check IWillVote.com. Tag your it. listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.